welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Dealer Digest, part of our Clean Tech Talk podcast series. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, and with me is Mojo Jojo Boros. What's your title? Yes. Joe? I don't know. I was just going to say, that's literally what I was going to say was, how come I don't get a title? Techno King. <laughs> Tech, I, yeah. No, Clean I'm Technica the, uh, Techno King. What is the czar of coin? Czar of coin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, coin czar. That means yeah. I clean out the. Uh, that means I clean out the vending machine in the break room. Oh my! <laughs> Next to the waterside <laughs> pool on our headquarters that Steve Hanley is always talking about that nobody right. knows anything about. Uh, he, you know, listen, man, that guy thinks he's in line at the bank. Sometimes I love that guy. Steve is hilarious. <laughs> Everybody loves the references to Clean Technica, our Clean Technica headquarters. You know, rooftop pool, all that watermelon the cucumber juice whatever we have up there oh yeah uh, yeah no it's good stuff but uh you know all right. at the end of the day you know we can we can do the same titles i always had at the dealerships right i was the finance guy i was the sales sales desk manager so now we'll know, have I, a better one but for now your co-host of, of dealer digest and uh clean tech oh, that's, Talk. that's the best title that's the best title you could have so and today yeah, we're not really talking about traditional auto dealers. Joe was like, we got to talk about this. And what is it? Well, <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Zachary. Thank you. <laughs> so over the weekend, Tesla, we don't really talk about Tesla here on Dealer Digest because Tesla doesn't have dealers. So not much to talk about, right? But this past weekend, something happened where Tesla announced that you any Tesla that you leased after April 15th, you would no longer be able to buy it back at the end of the lease. Now, there was some question about whether I mean, you could never do it with a Model 3, sometimes with a Model Y, but just the fact that it's out in the news and people are talking about it, it kind of felt like this was a good opportunity to talk about leasing, why most people decide to lease, and why, in some people's opinion, this could be seen as a cynical cash grab by uh, Mr. Musk. I think that's a fair way to introduce that topic. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. I would just with the the general topic of whether to lease or not to lease, I would just say that I've seen I've re- seen so many things written like passionately written about how one is much better than the other and on both sides. So there's people who on both sides think you know, this is for sure the best option for most people. I've come to just think it depends on a, a variety of factors that are important to you. And so hopefully we'll explore all of them in this in this dealer digest. I know Joe, you were saying you always lease. You've been in industry so long, you just you always lease because so I guess you know explain to us why you think that is the smarter way to, way go. to go for most yeah. people. So I'll I'll Oh and really real quick one thing. Sorry. <laughs> so okay. I, we'll do, you, <laughs> do you have the percent? Do you have the percentage of of people generally who lease or buy a new car? We we found out that the we dug up that that the percentage for Tesla is nine percent, and we know that's very low compared to the industry as a whole, especially the premium auto industry where leasing is even higher percentage than in the general car industry. But we so Tesla is nine percent, and Joe is yeah, it's about twenty five 
50% of the overall car market. And I think for premium class cars, it's closer to 50%, right? It's That's exactly right. For premium class cars, it's a lot closer to 50%. But you also have a very large amount of check writers at that level, which is kind of a weird thing. So if you're selling a $70,000 car, you're far more likely to have someone write a check for it than someone buying a $20,000 car, which is, it's kind of a weird thing to wrap your head around, but that's, that's. That's just how it goes. It's a standard. It's sort of a it's sort of a financial philosophy of people at that class. Some are like, you know, buy everything in cash. You know, I have the money anyway. I'm just going to write a check and be done with it. Some are are you know like expend as little cash as possible. Lease, you know, know, so exactly right, exactly right. So I kind of want to talk about leasing in the sense that I've always understood it. First of all, I want to say there's two kinds of leases. There's an open-end and a closed-end lease. And on a closed-end lease, that means that there are no options for the buyer at the end of it. You're returning the car with this many miles at this date. You don't get to keep it longer. You don't get to extend your lease. You don't get to get out of it early. You're paying for the lease. Typically, that kind of thing is reserved for companies and corporations. And an open-end lease is what most car dealers, what most people are familiar with, which is you agree upon a residual value at the time of of purchase, right? Quotation marks, purchase. You agree on a residual value, you subtract the residual value from the MSRP of the vehicle, and then that difference is what you pay over the course of the lease. And the idea being that at the end of the lease, the car is going to be worth that residual value. So in, in more practical terms, we say it's a $50,000 car. We agree that at the end of three years, it's going to be worth you know, $30,000. So we take that $20,000 divided by 36 payments, more or less, that's how your lease payment is calculated, right? So this is a really good thing for a lot of consumers. And a lot of people have objections to this. Like, well, I drive too many miles to lease. Not true. You do get hit with a mileage penalty, usually between 25 and 50 cents a mile these days. But the reality is that your car goes down in value when you drive it anyway. And that amount that you're being charged at the end is the estimated amount that excessive miles are going to reduce the value of your residual vehicle. They're not coming out ahead by charging you for miles. Like you it's just an interesting point. I've never heard anyone make that point. You know, you, just, you always think, oh, you got a limit with a lease, but that's a really good point. Well, you're, you're going on the residual, right? So if you go over the expected miles you're i mean a car with higher miles typically sells for less than a car with lower miles the other thing is if your car has a 50,000 mile warranty and you put 70,000 miles on it during the lease a lot can go wrong in those 20,000 miles so if the car has issues if it has you know if it's just not feeling as tight as it was before you don't like the way it steers anymore it kind of creaks and rattles you don't really get that problem in the volvo mercedes class Cars don't creak and rattle from the beginning. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is Joe. Okay, we won't we want to go there. <laughs> you really, I'm trying so hard to be professional and not pick on the Tesla guys, but like, yeah, there's supposed to be a big plastic seam down half of the dashboard. That's just how these cars are built. Look, I'll be honest. I have, you know, I have a Tesla. Obviously, it's right here in the picture too. And pretty much, all, you know, many Tesla owners I've known, you know there's there's certain rattles or sounds in the car and it doesn't change the fact that tesla owners are the most satisfied with their cars it doesn't change the fact that you know 
I wouldn't, there's no car on the market I would change for my Tesla. Uh, but it is one of the downsides of a Tesla is they tend to get these, these sounds, <laughs> these ghosts in, in the, air, air, the air conditioning event, especially uh, the, this like innovative air conditioning system in the Model 3 and, and Model Y, I think is, I feel like that's partly to blame for it. Like, I feel like that's where a lot of the rattling I'm aware of happens or yeah anyway but you know we had had a fedex driver in my neighborhood he was like he was like oh you're clean technica i i read read you all the time you know i got a tesla because of you i love it absolutely love it just the, just the only problem is you know the rattles you know it's like oh yeah <laughs> so anyway yeah i mean those things shake like chevy cavaliers with 150,000 miles on them but you know it, it it goes back to the original point right like one of the things that Tesla did really well was they identified a group of people that for whatever reason really vibed with what they were doing, whether it was the performance aspect, the high tech aspect, and people, at least in the beginning, gravitated towards Tesla because they were doing something different than traditional automakers. And if you were a V8 guy or a, you know, a drag race guy or whatever, there were aspects of Tesla that appealed to you, but it, it ultimately wasn't for you. As kind of the mainstream shift is changing, you know, now we're, we're no longer comparing Tesla to our own wants, needs, and desires. There are people who are comparing Tesla to other cars and weighing the relative merits of, of Tesla versus, for example, Polestar, for example, Mercedes-Benz. And in that context, how it feels, how it's built, if you can slam the door, what noise that makes, that does matter to some people. But I don't think any of those people were buying Teslas to begin with. And it's not because of that. It's just if, if that's not how you looked at cars, you just weren't if, if that's how you looked at cars, rather, that's just not a car that you were considering. Yeah. And I think there's just there's certain things about the Tesla the vehicle and the experience that you know people are just well there's this downside but there's all these upsides but uh but as far as the the unique ownership so i mean there's millions of tesla owners now but last we've seen i think uh, did you pull, pull that nine percent number from the latest quarterly sales report they, they reported yeah, every yeah. yeah so yeah. last we've seen and it was lower before i think it was three not it was know, down to like two percent at one point. yeah it was like two or three percent a couple of years ago now it's nine yeah. percent leasing but that's still an abnormality in the market and what, what i understand a lot of people they just they expect to own the tesla their tesla a long time they expect low maintenance they expect i'm going to own this for 10 years or more or you know at least five years and they don't yeah. see the value in leasing when they plan long-term ownership. They plan to maybe pass it down to their kids when their kids get older. There's also the, you know, a big, I don't know how many people, but you know, one idea was if you buy it with full self-driving, you, you get full self-driving for the price at the time, like 6,000 when I bought mine, now it's 12,000. And if you buy it, then you get the appreciation that comes with that as the price goes up. Or, you know, if it ever becomes a robo taxi, you don't have to pay any more for your car when it's robo taxi capable. I'm, you know, when I bought mine, I thought it would be robo taxi capable someday in a few years or something, five years. Now I'm very skeptical of that. But at the same time, I see that full self driving package has gone from 6,000 to 12,000. I'm not sure if that's getting passed on in the used car market when you sell a car. 
because it goes with the car, not the person. But I've right. I've seen, I haven't dug into it, but I've seen people say that it's not getting passed on when someone sells a used Tesla with full self-driving. But in theory, it should that as well. It should, and especially down the road, if it does become much more capable, it should. But that those are some of the reasons why people have bought instead of leased a Tesla. I mean, others, you know, there's a well, case. Well, hang on, hang on. I don't think that's necessarily true because as we mentioned, you really could never lease a Model 3 in the same way that a conventional open-ended lease would allow Was you. Was that to. from the be- beginning? Or... Uh, I mean, it, it's been going on for quite yeah, a while. Okay. okay, so yeah, I forgot that there is that stipulation with the Model 3. Right, um, so if you take away the open-ended lease, if you take away the option to buy, and this goes back to some of the benefits of leasing, right? When we'd have that open-ended lease at the end of 36 months or 24 months or 60 months or whatever term that that lease is, you as the lessee have a couple of options. You can say, okay, I'm going to buy this vehicle because it's been good to me. It's in good condition. Or you can say, man, this thing's a pile. I don't like it anymore. There's a new safety feature on the new ones that I want to get that I can't add to this one. So it's important to me. It meets my values to buy a new one. But if you take that away, if you take that open-ended option away, then what you've really done is created a closed-end lease. So the real question isn't, are people not leasing it because they intend to buy, they intend to keep it longer, they have this forward viewpoint, or are they, are they just not leasing it because the lease has never been especially favorable to them? Yeah, and I In think, terms I of mean, a consumer, I wouldn't want to take a closed-end lease. I might as well just rent a car for 36 months. I get no equity. I get no possible chance of coming out ahead. Isn't renting more lease, expensive? Not necessarily. I mean, if you if you look right now at people who leased three years ago, if you leased in 2019 a fifty thousand dollar, you know, XC40 Volvo, right? And it's fifty grand, and you residualed it for thirty. I think those numbers are probably right because I've done a couple of those leases. You know, right now you're sitting pretty. Because your lease, your 36-month lease is about to be over. The used car market is skyrocketing. You can buy out your lease probably for twenty-eight dollars or $27,000 and then turn around and drop your car off at CarMax for $35,000. But how much, is that, seven, how much is that price? Is that set at the beginning when you lease? That's set at the beginning. Exactly so, right. So, I mean, that's clearly, lease. yeah. I think that's clearly why, I mean, because Tesla's, I mean, Elon's always had the idea that it wouldn't take too long before they would be robot. I mean, they were supposed to be robotaxi capable by now. So by the time a three-year lease ended on a new Tesla a few years ago, it should have been robotaxi capable, which they didn't want to be in a situation where the car was worth so much more. And they were, you know, there was a this kind of controversy with the with the consumer who wanted to buy out the car for a low price, much lower price than it's worth. I mean, even without the robotaxi capability, like you said, the value is so high that if they had said it a few years ago when it, when the car was pretty new and yeah, you know, it would the, be lower now. They're losing out on that opportunity. And what you always do when you buy a car, and, and, and when I say buy specifically, not lease, when you buy a car, you're essentially gambling that there's going to be some value left at the end of five years, right? When you're leasing it, all of that risk is on essentially on whoever's providing the lease. Because if, if the residual value of the used car values tank, they have to give it to you, you know, they have to buy it for whatever the residual value is. And we've, we've written quite extensively about how that's a risk to uh, during the transition to EVs, that could be a big risk to to automakers that have 
that get stuck with gas cars which with much lower value than they anticipated when the, when the leasing period started so there's been a lot of I've seen right. CEOs of leasing companies in Europe especially talk about this it's been talked about a lot so it's something and I saw you know BMW when they were leasing the i3 in the US they switched to these two-year leases which I think was partly to kind of reduce uncertainty and risk but just going back one step and then I'll pass it back over to you the comparing the financial favorability of leasing versus buying I think a few years ago we 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 did a lot of total cost of ownership analyses and VJ Govindan on our team especially did some great ones where he compared leasing loans or cash and sort of different scenarios where and and also different countries different markets to sort of show where in which cases with which assumptions each of them would be better and some markets especially there was big differences in in whether it's better to lease or get with a loan or cash is sort of a different situation because and then you're also taking into account like where that cash could have been invested and the return rate that you could have got precisely right so we have all that in there we have historically but we haven't come back to it in since then so i think it's something we should really revisit yeah i i agree with you and i and i remember reading those a couple years ago now i remember reading those and thinking that there was not enough emphasis there was a lot of emphasis placed on numbers and vj is very good with that he's he's a very numbers oriented guy he's very logical thinker very much like you in fact and and i say that as a compliment to both of you but there is an emotional value that comes with choice that cannot be accounted for in these kind of Excel spreadsheet type conversations, right? The idea that I can make the decision for myself, whether it's 24 months from now, 30 months from now, 36 months from now, that I can stop, I can hit the brakes on what's happening in my month to month scenario. And I can say, okay, I now, as the consumer, have the choice. I can keep making these payments and keep driving this car. I can write a check and and buy the car outright, or I can turn around and sell the car on the open market and I feel like I can do better than the residual, or you know what, I've I've done my time with this and I'm going to give it back to the bank. And the idea that that consumer choice has value is never adequately represented in a lot of these tables and a lot of these profit and loss things. So like, yeah, you can say the cost of ownership is higher or lower based on that. But if I own the car, if I'm stuck in a 72 month payment cycle, which is really kind of the average right now in the United States, which is shocking to me. It's a long time. That's mine. It's a long time. No, no, I'm I'm 60 months. It's five years. I have five years, but it's even five years is very long when you consider, oh, at the end of five years, my car's it's nowhere near at the end what it is at the end of three years, where it's practically new. At the end of exactly. five years, it's a whole different story. You don't, and you have much less visibility into what it's going to be like in the market for that car or anything. Well, aside from, I'll give it back to you, but aside from what you're saying, there's also, from my perspective, one of the big appeals of leasing has always been, especially for wealthy people who typically lease that there's no hassle. There's no, you don't have to worry about your car breaking and having to deal with it. It's all within kind of like, you know, you're, you're being, you know, it's a service that you are benefiting from. You have full visibility on the, on the price of it. And you don't have to worry, oh, if I buy it and my car breaks out of warranty, I have to deal with that. It's just, I, there's a kind of convenient, especially I would say as you get 
higher class or, or even just older, <laughs> you don't want to deal with <laughs> ideally that's the same thing. You don't want to deal exactly. You don't want to deal with any hassles. Like you just don't want hassles in your life. You have family, oh, you don't want a car exactly. to have to exactly. So I My think my kid a, is enough of a hassle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need and to there's deal also with time costs, which we haven't talked about. So there's, there's there's a time cost and there's a sanity cost. Sanity costs. Yes. There, well there's absolutely yeah. a sanity yeah. cost, man. I mean if, if could you imagine if relationships like human interpersonal relationships came with these kind of lease terms like if you could if you could marry someone and say look we're going to get married for 36 months at the end of 36 months we're going to estimate that our net worth is going to be $150,000 we'll split it at 75 75 or we can keep going if we decide that we like this and it's all clean and clear i mean it's a prenup for your car that's exactly what it is it's a prenup for your car that's a get out of jail free card and we're doing away with that and we're giving all of the power back to the banks. And to me, this is not really a question about finance and it's not really a question about Tesla versus the larger auto industry, although it will be, it will be because as you and I were discussing before we started recording, whatever Tesla does and gets away with other car companies will do and try to get away with. That's just kind of how they are, right? You know, Tesla has, a, a more devoted fan base so they can kind of push that envelope a little bit further. They can kind of try to bury the needle and just see how far they can really push their consumers. And the other car makers are looking at that and seeing like, man, maybe we can get away with this too. Yeah, so you've stimulated a few thoughts. So well, first of all, it's not really the benefit of the banks even. In this case, it's Tesla. I mean, Tesla is benefiting from the yeah. change of terms. It's not... Um, so they're, I mean, they're well, doing it. Well, but you know, for if you're own... Ford, if you're leasing a Ford, you're leasing it from yes. Ford Motor Credit. Yes, if yes. Yeah. So, so it's, it is all car makers, right? We're in the same boat. Yeah. Or, I mean, well, when it's Ford or something like that, they have their own leasing arm, their finance arms, which are technically like separate. Com- I mean, they're, yeah, under the umbrella. But in any case, yeah. And then the other couple of things there, like, you know, I see Tesla's every, every single street that has, te- I'm driving past a Tesla now, they're all over. And yeah. I know a lot of people who are not Tesla fanatics who have Teslas now, it seems like the majority even. So you, you're, it's becoming a different market where it's just becoming, I mean, if you call them first followers or whatever, it's a different segment of the market that's not just 100% going to be fine with whatever Tesla does. So I think it's very fascinating to me, especially as kind of sociologists can see like, so how do these people respond to the rattles or the, the, you know, different issues that, you know, Tesla hardcore fans will just overlook. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think that's sort of up in the air still. And then on the topic of Tesla can do whatever. One of the, the other big story we were going to talk about is that, well, well, me, le- leading into uh, leading into i would just say the other thing that came to mind was it's it's not just that they're that tesla fans will accept everything elon will do something or even propose something get feedback and then change his mind the next day or the next week if he feels like it traditional automakers do not do that they don't they don't poll their fans on right. twitter and, and then make for it better a, or for worse right because for a better lot or for things, worse yes, yeah, yes, yeah, a, no, a no. lot of things that tesla has done well have come from consumer feedback yeah i'm not saying i'm just saying that they that they iterate they change they 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 change what they're offering like fluidly whereas this is not how traditional automakers work with their so they're not going to you know go out and do something and then change their mind tomorrow because of how people respond on twitter like that just 
that's not so they're very different business models for change you know and for so so one case of that is the mobile connector which you see if you're watching the video if we publish this <laughs> video if you we'll, watch we'll this video on youtube video, yeah. go to youtube.com <laughs> slash clean technica we're going to put this one on behind me is a picture of my what they call a tesla mobile 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 connector so it's for you can plug it into any electricity outlet and it's portable and then you can plug then you plug into your car and you can charge your car anywhere on a normal elect electricity outlet i like many people use it in my garage on a normal 100 120 volt electricity outlet slow charging charging trickle charging but my car is mostly sitting at home so it's easy this is like this is a basic you you get this with every electric car and elon just decided this week that they wouldn't include it anymore with teslas with new teslas and i've never seen i've seen so many hardcore tesla fans have severe negative backlash i've never seen that with anything so there is this huge tsunami of backlash like what the hell are you doing no way this is horrible this is ridiculous i've seen all kinds of comments from all kinds of tesla fanboys and fan fangirls because it's just like people did not think this was a good idea and it was and they were happy to say it it's just a basic you know use issue uh so i think it's not like it's not something theoretical it's like they know they use it and they know not including it with a car is going to be not good for for new buyers interestingly someone i saw commented that the kia ev6 also is not coming with one and this is the only other car that's not that doesn't come with a basic uh slow charger but it's a it's a it's a it's a case of like cutting costs he said usability is low I, I don't really understand how usability could be that low with something that's so widely used the one thing i will say before but how I pass would it on he know I well, guess, he would I know guess they have data from yeah. these. I mean, I wasn't aware that they are passing on data for the usage of each device, but I don't, I don't know. But they even uh, just one more thing on it, and then let you comment on it. But the the situation that does make sense to me with this is that you have millions of Tesla owners who already have one of these, and if they buy another Tesla, they don't need another one. Probably, you know, it's like like they can keep the one they have unless they're selling it with the car used i was going to say that in. seems disingenuous to me because yeah how many people are just you know you buy your car for you pay for it for five years then you go cool paid off time to go get another one lucky you, me i'll use the same charging cable for both like well you do have a lot of two tesla like if i got another tesla i wouldn't need another one of these i would just use the same one for both cars so it wouldn't be any sense to have another and if it's a 400 cost oh but this, the other horrible thing about it was as soon as the policy changed you had to buy it from the tesla store and it was out of stock so, <laughs> so that was just disaster like this is epic disaster i don't know i i hope he'll do a complete reversal he's oh. changed it from costing 400 to 200. 200 yeah. he's made that he's made a 180 like a 50 percent walk back but but Joe, even 200 is defensive. Even yes. 200 is defensive. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't heard that with Kia. Uh, I'll reach out to, to my contacts at Kia and confirm that. That's pretty shocking. I, I wouldn't necessarily take issue with that from Kia because, again, they don't have that, that track record. But, yeah, it, it, it does seem like – And it's like a basic – it's like – Oh, you we sold you a car, it just doesn't have tires. It's fine, but you know, it's a basic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 
like I with any electric car, especially I mean, you've talked to Novus, you know, new EV buyers, they're often clueless on how to, man, you know, I mean, until you actually live with one, even if you write about it for years, until you live with one, you, you don't have all these, you don't have answers to all these little questions that come up. And then you get you're, you're like, Oh, wait a second. But what about even if you've written about it for a decade, we've had that experience on our team, myself, Steve, oh, yeah. other people. So and just, you know, not having a charger to plug into a normal electricity outlet to charge your car is i think the, one of the most like you have to have that this is this is like having tires on a car in my opinion yeah i i agree with you man i mean i just don't understand how even if it's a low use case right but but this goes back to something that we've talked about before and i, I like to say it is every chance i get in, in the articles we are americans we buy and live for that low use case scenario right we buy 9,000 pound giant six wheel four by four diesel trucks because one day out of the year, we might tow a heavy trailer, right? You know, we, we buy that, that 800 horsepower Dodge demon dragster because, you know, yeah, every day we're driving 25 miles an hour and dropping little Becky off at school, but once or twice a year, we get to go down a quarter mile really fast. So we, we have to buy it in that way and get really the extra bedrooms, the tools we never use, the appliances we don't need. The, you I, know. My favorite example of this, there are more gun stores in the United States than there are McDonald's. And like, I eat McDonald's a lot more often than I shoot people. I mean, I don't know about you, <laughs> but like, you seem pretty violent. I do. <laughs> I do them both the same amount. Zero. Zero. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> So the fact that there's either of those things is probably confusing for you, but yeah, I don't know where to, I don't know where to go with that one, but that low use case that uh, I was looking for the, yeah, I mean, keep going with the broader, I figured you would come in with a broader picture on yeah, what you well, were saying yeah, earlier, but that's it, the low use case scenario, right? Like if I'm going to buy a Tesla and I say, man, this is my first EV and I still haven't figured out all the ins and outs. What if I'm stuck somewhere and all I have is a, a standard power outlet? Well, now I'm screwed unless I, you know, give Papa Elon another 200 bucks, which like, I, I don't know, man, it's, it would be, I think for me, it, it, it's a class thing, right? Like it's not a question of 200 bucks. I I've pissed away $200 on dumber things than this. It's a question of this is already the most valuable car company swimming in cash. Yeah. It's the most subsidized company. It's the most profitable per vehicle. It's the richest guy in the world. And they're going to nickel and dime me over aside 200 from, bucks. Aside it's from offensive. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I mean, and also it's, it's the biggest purchase many Tesla owners will have ever made aside from a house uh, or even, yeah. you know, maybe, and by far the biggest car purchase many Tesla owners will ever make. So it's just yes. like, you just, you, you don't want to pay another 200 for the tires, you don't, or 400, you don't want to pay that. And you don't want to be like, oh, I really need one, but it's out of stock for the next six months. And I mean, I sort of feel like this is part possibly why it was done too. So they could keep selling cars without, they have a supply oh, chain that's, issue. That's like maybe they have a supply chain issue. They can't get enough of these and they still want to sell cars. But in any case, anyway, but, but well, it, where does it end? Where does it end? If, yeah, you exactly. there, if you justify it and you say, well, you know, there's a, a I, mean, very, I'm not I, a I don't think that would be a good case. reason. No, but I mean, if the justification is use case, 
well, what about all the single guys who have model threes? You know, do they have to now pay $400 extra for a back seat? Cause they, they don't, they don't ever really use that. Right. It's like, you know, they only use that like 5% of the time eh, another four or five, 1500 bucks. No big deal. Oh, you want vegan? Eh, that's another 350 bucks. Well, when you, you know. said whatever Tesla does, the rest of the market will watch. Yep. That's what scared me. When you said that, I immediately thought of this and I thought, oh my gosh, this better not become a norm. Like it's got to be a norm with EVs to have a truck. Like, so I don't know. What Do you want to comment well, if more? If you look at Mercedes, Mercedes is already doing a lot of the same stuff that Tesla is doing. So when Tesla certifies a car, they essentially certify one battery, one motor, this and that. And a lot of the differences between like the standard range and the long range and things like that aren't necessarily physical differences. Some of that is software locks, right? So you have scenarios where in a Mercedes-Benz EQS, it has four-wheel steering, but you have to pay a subscription fee to access the four-wheel steering that you've already paid for in the car. So now you're getting to scenario, and there was a Kia thing now that you hit a button uh, and it was an Audi I was in that you hit a button for some audio feature and it said, you do not subscribe to this feature. So now we're getting into this point where we're going to have to subscribe to use features inside our cars. And that's already being tested out in little bits here and there. So, you know, are we going to now have to pay a subscription to use the air conditioning? You want to open the sunroof? That's going to be four ninety five, sir. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's really getting to the point where it's offensive. And, you know, as environmentalists, right, more than anything else, we forget about car enthusiasts, forget about we love Tesla, right? If we're really going to save the planet, you know, you can't make the argument and say, well, you don't need a 9,000 pound SUV. You can get by in a 5,000 pound Tesla. What we should really all be doing is pushing and driving for, you know, public transportation, human powered vehicles to get from point A to point B in, in a short surface, in a short area, and kind of normalize and standardize public transport where you have 60, 70, 80, 100 people on a train or a bus, rather than everybody in their own little individual EVs. I mean, we're not going to consume our way out of climate change, I, in my opinion. I, you know, what do I know? I'm just some idiot car guy. But I think that this idea that we're all going to buy you know, turn around and in the next five or six or 10 years, buy a new electric car, which if you're going to buy a new car, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be electric. The idea that as we do that, we are now giving up our sense of ownership and giving up the ability to have ownership over things that we've already paid for, I think is really, really scary from a consumer point of view and uh, is really setting up a scenario where, you know, you might find yourself sitting in a car and all of a sudden isn't going to run until you swipe your credit card through it. Yeah. You know, we've already had tow truck drivers reporting about how, when they go repossess a Tesla, they just hit a button in their app and it pulls itself out of the parking lot and loads itself up onto the truck. The next step with a full self-driving robo taxi, you miss a payment. That car is going to drive itself back to the impound lot. That's scary. Uh you know, when I was a kid, I thought when your car got impounded, I thought it meant it got crushed. You know, it was just the word made me think. Nice. But, uh, but uh, to, it we depends should wrap what up. it is, you know. <laughs> yeah. We should, when I realized it just meant it was like locked up, I was like, oh, that makes more sense. It makes a but, lot more sense. But yeah. uh, I was like, why would they crush a car just because someone? But anyway, it was, we should wrap up because it's been a, a while here. We're running out of time. But uh, I wanted to just ask you to comment a little bit more on two things then. Sure. One is, again, just a little bit more on why you think it makes so much more sense to lease 
than yep. than buy with a loan or or whatnot. And two is with that subscription issue. I mean, do you think there? It's sort of like automakers are, might be digging their own grave a little bit with this. Where okay, it seems like a great way to make money for the next few years, but in ten years, it might come back to bite automakers in the butt by them losing sales or you know or or something like that or, or you think we'll just all be captive captively swiping yeah. our credit cards and accepting the our newfound overlords of the you know <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll answer number two first so i i don't necessarily think automakers are digging their own graves with this i you know when we did that episode with snow lake lithium and i'm doing part two of that uh you'll see that tomorrow there is a question mark over these car companies. If you look at the amount of lithium that is projected to be out there and mined in the next 10 years, it's only going to support, depending on who you believe, between 30 and 50% of the current car market. If, you, if the total sales of cars dropped by 50% tomorrow, there's a lot of car companies that wouldn't make it, right? So how are they responding to that? Do they know that? Or is that something that they're trying to plan for now? And they're trying to set up these subscription models. Maybe they're setting up these subscription models to stay relevant, keep people in their cars longer so that they have a greater sense of time to do this. I don't know. I'm well, not in those conversations. Well, and if I did know, I wouldn't tell you for free. <laughs> I will say we've been interviewing lithium and battery experts. I would say maybe a dozen of them over the past yep. three years. They've all been saying this for the past three years that we've been interviewing them about this topic. And they've all been saying the price of lithium is going to shoot up eventually because demand is going to catch up. To, there was a bit of oversupply in the lithium market that was just going to go, you know, get crunched. And there wasn't enough investment in the mid, mid and long term. And so we've seen, I mean, Elon Musk was complaining sort of uh, a few days ago about how much the price of lithium has jacked up in the past year. But this has all been predicted for, you know, for years. And they're talking about they might need to get into mining and processing. Well, they talk about that at Battery Day. I mean, this is, and all the experts we've talked to, they're like, Tesla's way ahead of the game. Most other automakers don't have a geologist on their team, don't have any sense of this, are not securing contracts. And, and it always comes down to as much as people they claim they're going to have this many EV sales. There's not enough lithium being developed, lithium mining mines being developed to support that unless the auto market collapse. And then on that, on that topic, you know, we've also had articles about the Osborne effect and how the auto market could collapse in that transition period. But you, your point about it, you know, could, they could be looking at that, realizing it even and saying, okay, we'll make money on subscriptions. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, they got to come up with something, right? Because they, they're going to have to change the way that they do things. So back to the other topic, you know, and I and I think I, I touched on it a little bit before, but you know, we can do some some back of envelope math here and figure it out. But I, I would always, if I could get an open ended lease on a vehicle, especially if it was a vehicle that I was planning on keeping five to ten years, I would take that lease option especially if it was a vehicle that I, would gonna, that I was going to put excess miles on, I would take that lease option. Because whenever you add time or add use to a, a physical item, whether it's a, a power tool or a TV or a car, you are increasing the load on it and you don't know how it's going to react, right? So I, to me, the value is in that choice. The value is in that escape clause that I can pull the parachute three years into it or two years into it and make another choice. If everything's going smooth, 
I mean, you know, I, if, if everything's running smoothly, like, you know, my old XC70, I would have kept that thing at 140,000 miles over buying, you know, let's say a, a new Subaru for, for zero miles, right? I have more faith in that one than I do in this one because I know what's wrong with it. I know what works. I know that it's been tried and true. I know that it's still solid. You know what I mean? So I think that idea that leasing only works as a means to reduce the price of the car. I think that that fundamental idea is flawed. I, what I, the advice that I would give is you're not looking at leasing to save money. You're looking at leasing to have a choice. You're paying for that choice. If you can't afford the standard payments and the only way for you to get into that vehicle is to lease that car, you can't afford that car. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I used to tell people this all the time, you know, they would ask me, should I buy this used Mercedes? And I would tell them, dude, if you can't afford a new one, you can't afford the used one. You're just going to be paying yes, for repairs yeah, instead of the yeah. payment. Yeah. And repair. I mean, I would just, there's a lot of people expect uh long-term cost of a Tesla would be low because of, you know, the low maintenance of electric powertrain. I mean, from my perspective, anything that breaks on a Tesla is expensive and yep. I would be concerned that you know, I am concerned that long-term ownership could lead to very high repair costs, not for a transmission, not for, you know, sure. for an engine failure, but for some other thing that's expensive on a Tesla because it's a Tesla. And um, so well, I think that's something people know should watch out Musk. for. Yeah, like Musk is so weird and nebulous. Like you never know. Like what if he just says, hey, we have a new design for a power window motor. We're just not going to build these old power windows anymore. And if you want to fix your power window, the only way to do it is to buy the new door that has the old, the new power window motor in it. I mean, that's as wild and crazy as that is. <laughs> that's not even the craziest thing we've talked about today. Yeah. I was, <laughs> and he, Elon has probably tweeted something more, more interesting in the past while we're recording this. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, exactly. but but Elon that, did what? He, he the, shit his bed? Like it could be anything. It's Elon. The, Who knows? He's, he's really gone. Into, I mean, yeah, it's really getting interesting. But on that leasing talk, that's a very, I, I really never heard someone frame it like that. I like, I like that a lot. It's really interesting. I would just, you know, the kind of counter argument are, are automakers and their, and their finance companies, are they not just making sure that they have enormous padding and are going to come out ahead financially that that they always are going to win on leasing. I mean, not with every single customer, but that it's just, they've already done all the, the math and the buffering financially to, to say, Oh, we'll, we're going to come out ahead. Yeah. There's so, always, you know, there's a fundamental misunderstanding from the public as far as what leasing is and who it serves. And it was kind of put into play in service of wealthier customers to, for them to have a way to write off, the price of their vehicle and write off a greater amount of their vehicle cost. Cause you can write off essentially a hundred percent of a lease where you can only write off the depreciation of a purchase price. Right? So if you buy a, a car, you can only write off the depreciation. If you're leasing it, it's a hundred percent gone. Even if you lease it down to $1, which you'll see that in, in, in some corporate things and, and corporate equipment leases and things like that. So it was really there to benefit people you know, from a tax point of view, from a cost outlay point of view, it existed as a benefit to the consumer. And a lot of the negative, you know, if you, if you believe conspiracy theory thinking at all, a lot of the negative thinking behind leases 
might have been put in place by people well-meaning who simply didn't understand it, but there was never a big push from the automakers to educate the consumer about all the many ways that leasing could really benefit them. You know, especially that one about having that residual price in there, because there have been a lot of times where you can come out ahead as a consumer by doing the lease, by buying it out at the end. Um, you know, we talked about, I would never lease the Volvo I'm driving now. We had a lease for three years and ended up buying it at the end because it's a solid car. I love that you said to the, he would drive it more, which is like the last thing you would think, you know, oh, if you get a lease, don't go over the mileage limit. But you, you emphasize, you know, going over the mileage limit while it's, you know, while it's not a done Absolutely. deal is, is brilliant for checking how the car holds up for whatever. Absolutely. And, and yeah, you know, the idea of the idea, it comes back to why you're leasing. If you're leasing it, because that's the only way that you can afford the monthly payments, you know, you're building yourself a prison, but if you're leasing it because you want that freedom of choice, if you're leasing it because you want that ability to, to take advantage of a, a poorly estimated residual, because if the car, if the residual buyback is 30 grand and you do your research and the car's only worth 20, you can shake your hands and say, bye-bye, thanks for playing. And now the bank is stuck with a car that's worth less than they predicted. Yeah. And that's, the, that's the big zero. risk. That's the big risk that a lot of people have thought the traditional auto make auto industry is facing in the next 10 years, which is going to be interesting to see if it's yeah. true or not. But well, you make a you make a lot of interesting points. I would I would say one big takeaway we have if Tesla is not offering leasing with a like an open end lease, an open end yeah. lease anymore, that opens that I mean a lot of new car buyers maybe will find their way to other brands who might have bought a Tesla. So this is a good way to kind of open up, uh, diversify the market, especially in, in the U.S. where, I mean, in Europe, it's already very diversified, but in the U.S., we don't have a very diversified EV market. So this could help push people. I saw a Mercedes EQS in front of me a week or so ago, and was, I was like, oh, wow, that's a beautiful car. And I thought, Is that, that's got to be the electric. And then I was, you know, watching looking for the charge port. I was like, that looks, that's a cool looking electric car. So it's, I think it's Great good car. that, you know, have options. We'll see what happens. And, and I'm just, uh, I mean, as a closing point, what do you think is the reason then that Tesla has killed the open-end lease? Oh, it's a pure cash grab because what they have found is that the residuals that they've been putting on the cars are much lower than what the cars are bringing on the open market. And they want, and rather than, rather than a Tesla lessee buying the car at the end for the residual price and then turning around and either flipping it selling it themselves, pocketing the cash, Tesla wants that cash. And as soon as they start getting it right and they start losing a couple deals, maybe they bring it back. Who knows? Good stuff. I think we have to come back to the topic of subscriptions and one and in another dealer digest. I think we get Steve Hanley on here and we do a subscription slash right to repair and we yeah. get his take because he's written a That's lot on true. right to repair. And I think he'd be, uh, I think he, we got to pick his brain a little bit as well. Jennifer Sensiba would also love to talk right to repair. She's very passionate about that. About are we that. uh are we are we gonna do the first clean tech talk round table? Is that what we're introducing? Let's see, here? let's see. we we'll, we might have a round table coming up. Put it in the stay, comments, see if it's something tuned. you guys want to hear. Yeah. yeah. Stay tuned. Thank you, <laughs> Joe. Right. Have Thanks, a good day. Sam. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Oh, and we should also say if you enjoy Dealer Digest and our Clean Tech Talk series, don't forget. 
to subscribe wherever you're listening right now, whether that's Spotify or SoundCloud or YouTube. Subscribe, like, uh, if the, you know, that helps us to be seen by a lot more people, helps to get our nuanced expert commentary and discussions in front of more people's ears and potentially eyes. And if you really, really like what we're doing, you can really support us with a three, $3 a month contribution on future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe or uh on patreon thank you very much have a good day thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.